This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. And privilege to be with God's people and to open up God's word because we know that God's word, when it's spoken and understood, never returns empty. So this morning we're going to ask God to help us as we come back to Isaiah 40 and we pray that His Spirit will work in us. Would you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, you who have such amazing love, who are we? that you have set your eyes to love us. Who are we that you have sent your Son for us? Father, you are the one who knows time because you have seen our time in the past weeks and months and you know our time in the week ahead and months ahead. You know where we are in our hearts and so we ask that your Holy Spirit at this morning will help us to settle in, to open up our ears and our eyes and our minds that we can read your word and engage with your truth so that by your word, your Holy Spirit will help us to grow in our knowledge and so our love for you and that we can stand firm in this world in the times where we need comfort. So be with us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you have your Bible with you. If not, you can raise your hand and one will appear before you. But we'll be reading the Bible a fair bit and it will really help if you have your Bible with you. Now, comfort, this word, means very different things to different people. Now, I've been doing visitation at a hospital for the last one and a half weeks. And as I look across the wards, it was absolutely depressing. Many were frail, in pain, struggling with basic needs. Some were on breathing tubes. Others could barely eat. And if we go to some of them and ask what comfort is to them, it will not be a luxurious home, a spa holiday, a fat bank account for retirement, all those things that the world asks us to chase after. Rather, comfort, if asked them, would be for relief from pain and suffering. It would be to breathe fresh air without choking. It would be to walk without falling down. Comfort would be to find ease from their suffering and to have assurance that despite their decaying bodies, everything is going to be okay. Well, perhaps this sounds close to your heart for some of you, or it could be distance for you because we are physically well. Whatever the case, you and I, we may still long for a breath of fresh air in trying days, in days where we feel suffocated emotionally, physically, mentally, relationally, and no doubt spiritually. There'll be times we long for that fresh air. The times where Christians, if you are a Christian, you may face the day where what we know about God gets challenged by what we experience in the flesh. In those moments of suffocation, the world may echo to you that perhaps, perhaps God is not real. Perhaps He's not powerful, or worse, He's actually disinterested. That God is watching from a distance, as some of us would sing. 
unmoved by our circumstances and cry. There's a teacher by name David Jackman. He described it this way. Our world dictates God as weightless, ambiguous, even non-existing. Now, as we come to Isaiah 40, it comes as an amazing chapter because it is a remedy for those who long for comfort to be able to breathe again. But in the moment, they experience despair. It is, in fact, a remedy for all Christians before suffering comes to your nostril. Now, Isaiah 40 was written by the prophet Isaiah while he was still alive in the 7th century BC for God's future people who will suffer terribly because of their sins against God. Like a letter written and put in a time capsule and buried, it was ignored for a hundred years until despair starts to seep in. Then it suddenly makes sense for God's future people exiled in Babylon and even beyond. His message is like this, be comforted. Wait upon your powerful God who remembers you and he will come for you. A few years ago, we learned of how King Hezekiah in 701 BC, he overcame Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, in a war on faith. Jerusalem enjoyed a time of relief, but we also learned that there was a dark cloud that kept hovering over them. Because right in Isaiah 39, just a few verses before today's chapter, God had declared Judah would eventually be carried off by Babylon because of sin. God's temple would be looted and destroyed. And when this happened, it would seem that God has abandoned them. And we know, if you read history or you use Google, that judgment on Judah eventually did happen around 597 BC. They were carried off by Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Neo-Babylon, and their exile lasted for 70 years. Now it would then, at that time, that these words of Isaiah 40 come alive to these people. These words would be like water in the desert, life for the dying, hope for the disheartened. Because if you're enjoying time, you may not find Isaiah 40 to be important, but when you're in desperation... Isaiah 40 comes alive. Isaiah 40 verse 1 and 2 reads, if you have your Bible, look at it with me. 40 verse 1, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. To God's people who are utterly desolate in the wasteland, comfort has come to them. The water of life, no, the giver of life himself has come. Verse 2, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her heart serves has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. If you are looking at your Bible, it is already clear to you right at the start that the problem for God's people was never Assyria, not even the Babylonian Empire. The problem is sin. Sin against God. But God then declares that the sin of Jerusalem has been paid for. How is that even possible? Well, look at it. She will receive from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, the word double is not very intuitive in our first reading. The double here is likened to a folded piece of paper. That as you fold it, it doubles. An exact match 
Or perhaps in our modern day example, the provision of a stunt double when you uh, watch a filming or movie. Just at a critical time where the death punch comes to the hero, the, the director says, cut! So the, the famous uh, actor will sit at his couch or comfortably and the stuntman comes and get the last punch on his behalf. The double. God's people receive an exact match to pay for all their sins. And then three times, three times a voice is heard describing God's comfort. And the first is in verse 3 to verse 5, and it is a shocker. It says, be comforted because God himself is coming. Verse 3, a voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, this is what we know. A red carpet is used to welcome an earthly king, a human king. But this time, the earth itself will become a carpet for the heavenly king. The valleys that are down, they will be filled up. The mountains that are high, they will be flattened. The rough patch will be smoothened for the king's arrival because nothing will hide or obstruct his arrival. It will happen. And all peoples on the earth will see God's glory. Now, we will catch a glimpse of this in history when God uses King Cyrus. He was a Persian king, a conqueror of the New Babylon. That God will use Cyrus to send the exiles freely back from Babylon, back to Jerusalem in 539 BC. He will clear the way, even provide resources for God's people to build God's temple. But that is but a shadow of what is to come. Because when we look through the lens of time and we look into the gospel, we see how John the Baptist, he will lay the path announcing the arrival of King Jesus himself. One born of a virgin declared in Isaiah 7. One who is a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, as declared in Isaiah Isaiah 9. And one who will be raised up And his banner will draw the exiles from all nations to himself. Isaiah 11. No valleys here. No mountains can stop God from bringing comfort to Jerusalem in the Old Testament and the new Jerusalem into eternity. Again, a second voice came in again in verse 6 that says, Cried out. What should I cry? Asked the prophet. Cry this, all people are like grass, and all their faithfulness, or beauty if you are using ESV, is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Now I used to really get fascinated watching National Geographic documentaries. And those fast-forward time that they will have where a whole year of four seasons get fast-forward into mere minutes. Have you seen those before? Those time-lapse. How the green grass and beautiful flowers will flourish in all their glory and quickly they withers down and the new flowers and grass comes up. The old is immediately forgotten. Now, as we look at this passage... This falling away in verses 6 to 8 is more 
is more than just the shortness of our human life. It also points to everything we represent. It disappears such that we are blown away by God's breath. You know, the beauty exhibited by the best amongst us fall away. We have already saw it in the dark days of King David. We saw it the last time round in the life of King Hezekiah. Even the best amongst us falls. Our beautiful words, our promises of faithfulness to God and to others are like flowers and grass. They fade away. Hosea in 6.4, he described God's people this way. He says this, Hosea, your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew, disappears. We lack, as humans, we lack the durability to sustain our life. Whether it's physical or moral, we lack the durability and we fall. Whether it's physically or morally, our words do not endure. But not so for God. The word of our God endures forever. When he says he's coming and bring comfort, you can be assured he will bring it. Are you waiting for comfort? If you're one who's waiting for comfort, God says he will bring it, he will bring it. Now, dear friends, have people disappointed you before? Perhaps you or others betrayed, disappointed, failed you, have those who promise to love you and bring comfort to you, sometimes they just fall, even at their best. Today's passage wants to tell us this. God is not like us. Do not imagine God to be like any of us. If God promised comfort, He will bring it. The question rather is, do we trust Him to wait on Him? Do we trust Him? To wait on him. The Bible explains the difference between God's words and our words this way. There are many, but let me give one example from Numbers 23 verse 19. He says this, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Let us be comforted because God is faithful. Now a third voice comes in before you even have time to breathe. And this time, verse 9 to 11, goes up there, listen everyone, shouts this barrel of good news from the mountaintop. Not only is God coming for you, and God's word endures, He is also a compassionate God who cares for His people. God does not treat His people as their sins deserve. Rather, God cares for them as a shepherd would the stubborn lambs. I want us to take a look at the arms of God. Imagine the arms of God in verses 10 to 11. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. No, our God, he's a sovereign king. He comes to rule with power and he will bring along his reward when he comes, which is a people for himself. But then look at verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. You know, on one hand, God easily rules the world with his mighty arm. Yet when he speaks about his reward, his recompense, his lamb, his mighty arm becomes a loving arm. He gathers his prized lamb to, his, to himself with this same arm, carrying them close to his heart, leading those who are burdens of care with young ones with great gentleness. 
Now, unless you are a policeman, no one wants a police arm to be on you because it represents law and you know that trouble comes. No one wants the police arm to be on you unless that police is your dad. And suddenly that same arm becomes comfort and security. So the same goes for Jerusalem, says Isaiah. God is coming for you. God is the mighty king. The enemies shall fear. But you, his children, if you're his lamb, you find comfort in that same arm. As God gathers you like a shepherd, your sins will be paid for. He will personally gather you and then he will comfort you. Now, dear friends, if God is not your shepherd, you should be very scared of his arm when he comes. But if God is your shepherd, you should long for the arm to arrive because God's compassion will overwhelm you and all your pain and your sorrows and your longings and your hurts will be covered and comforted. Now, even as we see the con- consequence of our rebellion against God, Around us, there's revealed in our decaying bodies, more so today than yesterday, the brokenness of our relationships, our inability to be consistent in our loveliness, and the final judgment that is yet to come. We can find comfort in God's compassion to all who will turn to Him. We are promised through the lens of the New Testament now, after the passage like Matthew 3, verse 3, where John the Baptist was quoted here exactly as the one who paved the way for King Jesus' arrival as the Lord, the Lord Jesus declares himself in passages like Mark three twenty-seven that he is the mighty one who will enter the house of Satan. He will bind up the Satan and robs him, all of us, from his grips, from his grips so that he will comfort us. We will find rescue from his arms. At the same time, in John 10, 11, Jesus says this. You'll hear this. It's a very familiar passage. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the double God prepares back in 40 verse 2 that we have received from God. We committed sins deserving judgment. Jesus comes and pays for it. Those who repents and turns back to God finds comfort in the arms that are scarred with nails, marks of the nails. Now it is such an amazing passage of comfort. But can we say that often in times of suffering, we will actually forget everything. We will forget God's power, God's love, and instead of waiting patiently, God's people, they, and perhaps we, will be tempted to question God. The rest of Isaiah has to be written because of our spiritual amnesia, our forgetfulness of who God is in times of suffering. Verse 27 is what God's people often do in times of suffering. Take a look and see if we can find our own voices amongst those who complain about God. Look at verse 27 with me. God's people say, My way is hidden from the Lord. 
My cause is disregarded by my God. When hopelessness starts to seep in, the temptation is to forget who God is and say, no, God does not listen to prayers. What's the point of praying to God where He doesn't even listen? God is disinterested in my suffering. We can use our own versions of 27. That, but that is the problem back then. It's still the same danger right now. So how can we deal with such an urge to complain and cry out against God? Well, the solution by Isaiah is to really know who God is. And that's why this passage continues from verse 12 to 26. Now, before I look at 12 to 26, there's one thing that we need to know before we step in. As created human beings, we do not have the capacity to actually discover God. We have no capacity to fully comprehend God. Even at the 100% capacity of brain, we cannot fully comprehend God. Perhaps even when we are heaven, we may not fully comprehend God in His glory. The reason is this, because we have a qualitative difference. God is a created God. We are always created beings. No matter how great we are, we are created. And He's creator. There is a qualitatively difference, qualitative difference between us. But our duty is to grow to know God. It's to grow to know Him. You know, there's this story in the book of Narnia, there's this girl called Lucy. Lucy was speaking to Aslan, the lion, which represents Jesus. And the conversation goes like this. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not, not because you are, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Dear brothers and sisters, God never gets bigger than He is right now. But we will find Him bigger as we grow older. And so we shall grow right now as we listen to Isaiah's word from verse 12 onwards. Verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Now, when my daughter, uh, especially when she was little, she keeps thinking that dad's got the biggest hands. She would think that I can scoop the most water uh, compared to anyone else. And she gets really amazed when I measure her whole face with my thumb to my last finger. And she's wow, how big your hand is to cover my whole face and my whole cheek. She gets amused with it. Now in verse 12, we, the little creatures, are called to look at how God could easily measure the waters of our whole earth with the hollow of His hand. And how he easily marks the heavens, the universe, by just stretching his thumb and his last finger. Or the picture of God holding the soil of our earth like dust. Or measure the Mount Everest that we give our life to conquer like a bean on a market scale. Or verse 13, who can give counsel to God? You know, the scholar Alec Mortier, he quoted 
why brace works. And he says this, historically, in the Babylonian mythology, their creator god Marduk, he cannot proceed with creation without consulting Ear, the all-wise. But the Lord works with unaided wisdom. Isaiah says, Our God, He never needs counsel. He is the counsel. And verse 15, The nations of the world, be it Assyria we have seen, or Babylon, that Jerusalem was afraid of, or for our world, all the collective powers of our nations united. They are like one drop in God's bucket. One speck of dust on God's scale. They're totally weightless. Or consider verse 16. Take a look. In a world where all other so-called gods in this world, they depend on human worship to be called great. That's how the world's gods are. They need human worship to be called great. But Isaiah says, the creator God's greatness never depends on your or my worship. Supposedly, Lebanon. Lebanon is a place famous for its cedar wood. It's prized because its wood is used to make palaces and temples. But here it says, supposedly, Lebanon, all of Lebanon, just combusted and burst into flames along with all its livestock as an offering. It's not sufficient to even light the altar of God to offer any sacrifice. And in comparison, verse 17 says, we are collectively less then nothing. Now, dear brothers and sisters, all these descriptions that we have, they are to remind God's people of God's greatness. Now, do we admire the fleets that we have that can rule our sea? The sea is but a scoop of water. Do we admire the universe with our most powerful telescope? We can barely see the space marked out by God's hand. Do we bind to the wisdom of humans, even other gods? God's wisdom needs no others. Do we admire our nations, our mountains, our islands, our precious resources? They do not even weigh enough to turn on the skill of God's weighing skill. Now again, brothers and sisters, these descriptions could barely, could barely describe God, but they are given to us for our limited comprehension. Now, as the exiles, they look at the hanging garden of Babylon, the great temple of Marduk, or perhaps us, we look at our great invention of artificial intelligence, virtual reality, our humans' empires, philosophies, now our medical advancements that one day can double our lifespan, or our space technology that makes us wonder in awe of the great unknowns. Isaiah's voice come back from the 7th century BC to remind God's people, these are all weightless compared to God. Verse 18, With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken Him? And dear brothers and sisters, the moment we try to compare God with an image, we have totally lost sight of God. No wonder the Ten Commandments, the first one says, you shall have no other gods before him. And the second says, you shall not make any idol for yourself, nor bow down to worship. Whether that idol was made to worship God, it says, do not make a single idol. 
Because the moment you make an idol, you have confined and constrained your God. Now, as human beings, we are created with this gap in our soul. We are unable to fill that gap because we, the only thing that can fill it is the worship of our God. But in our sinfulness, we have a tendency to constrain God by creating something and try to fill the gap. You know, we try to make an image of our own hands. We design an imposing image that perhaps look at us, or maybe a bit better, with a few more animals' parts to it. We cast it with metal to make it look strong. We pour gold over it to make it look grand. And those who are poor, they try to buy grade A cedar wood to make an idol with a strong base so that when the wind blows, it doesn't topple when you are worshipping and embarrass yourself. But an image of an idol can never, ever be compared with God. Verse 21 says this, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning that have you not understood since the earth was formed? He stands, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and his people are like grasshopper. He stretches out the heavens like a, a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. You know, the glory of God can never be designed by human hands, not confined by image. God's throne is way above us who are like grasshoppers. Now think of all the great men and women in our history, the good, the bad, the ugly, anyone you love or hate, the great men and women. And we see all these great princes and rulers, they are like the fast-forward National Geographic film. They're there today or yesterday, and they're swept long gone. Weightless shaft across time. Here today, gone tomorrow. The same goes for you and me. God is way beyond that. And have we seen a canopy before? If you have not, just open this door after this, not right now. Go and look at the playground. The canopy is like a cloth or canvas or leather that covers something for us. Now, even our greatest telescope that we can imagine that help us look and measure the heavens around us, the stars, the galaxies, everything that we can possibly conceive. Isaiah 40 reminds us we have barely seen God's glory. Even when we stretch the limits of our human capacity, we are merely admiring everything under the canopy that God has just created. Can I invite you later as you head down for morning tea, just pause for five seconds, just take a look at the canopy and imagine everything that you can conceive as a human being collectively, everything that can look out in the universe, our films can film, we are just circling around under the canopy. We have not even looked above the canopy of the one who has spread it. That is our God. And again, verse 25 Look at it again. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all this? Notice the homesick exiles in Babylon. I could name you a few. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. You can find even more. As this homesick exiles in Babylon, as they look past Babylon's greatness in the dark, in the day, in the, in the quiet of the night as they look up to the dark sky. Or perhaps you and me tonight, when we choose to just switch off our handphone just for the evening, full of all the glorious news of our Babylon, just switch it off 
and we look up to our dark sky, we will see the beautiful starry hosts of stars and moons and we shall remember that it is God who created all of them. Stars and galaxies. You know, my children love this and they still do. They love daddy to pull a blanket over them before they sleep because they feel very cozy and comfortable. But here we have God who pulls a blanket of stars over our skies. Each of them has a story. Each of them has a name. None of them has ever been missing in his counting. And dear friends, the question is this. Why did God paint these pictures in Isaiah 40 for his people, for you, for me? So that when we are in despair and when we look up at the universe, we are drawn to the wonder and the awe of God who has placed them all in heavens just for our amazement, just for us to look up and wonder there must be something much greater out there for us. So that we may be like Lucy in the story of Narnia. Now each time as we finish admiring God's universe, as we close our eyes, we whisper in our prayer, God, you look a little bit bigger today than yesterday. As we are about to doze off to sleep, they may hear the little voice that says, that is because you are a bit older today than you were yesterday. The more we grow, the more we realize how big God is, the more the comfort of God comes to you as how close and how true it is. Now, dear friends, we have mentioned earlier, we mentioned the problem that exiles and we face in times of suffering. It is in verse 27. Our problem is not that God is too small. Our problem rather is our forgetfulness that sips in and hopelessness that tags along. And we are tempted to complain, saying, Why do you make us go through this, God? Why are you not hearing our prayers? Do you not care? Are you not there? In such times of desperation and forgetfulness, we say in our own words, My way is hidden from God. He disregards my problems. I don't know where you are today. Perhaps you are not, you are in the prime. Or perhaps you are suffering and gasping for air. 27 is a very common thing for us humans. That is why Isaiah 40 is written by the prophet, put in that time capsule to be ignored for years, but then to be read again, that we may remember when we look through the telescope of space, through the telescope of time and history, that God has always been here bigger than we can comprehend. Look at verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can phantom. You know, as I stood at the hospital, looking at the pains and the consequence of our fallen worlds, as I looked through the telescope of time and know that everyone here will die, including myself as a visitor. It becomes clear there's nothing the best human hands can offer to take away the pain of those who are attacked by death. That includes you and me. They may provide temporary relief, yes. Permanent hope, never. 
some of the visitors who came and left are sitting there for a long time, for one and a half weeks. Some of them look like they're in the prime of their lives, strong, confident. Some of them were shuffling between hospital and work. Some of them look like they just came from a date or heading off for another one. Some are dressed for celebration, not for mourning. Yet Isaiah 40 says this, Even the youth grow tired and weary, young men stumble and fall. No, dear friends, all our strength, your strength, all our energy will run out, all our work, our celebration, they will cease. But what do we do, friends? What do we do when the leeches of tiredness and weariness sticks to you and sucks life out of you? When we smash ourselves in a war at the end of the day or at the end of our lives, where do we find comfort to fill that gap in your soul and refreshments for hopelessness? No, we are created with the potential for eternity. But only God can fill it and make it happen. We long for comfort, but only forgiveness from the giver of life and the judge and his assurance can give eternal comfort. Now, in our spiritual brokenness, it is God alone who can give strength for the weary, power to the weak. Only those who hope in the Lord in verse 31 will be renewed in their strength and will soar despite the gravitational pull of Babylon, will run the path of perseverance even when doctors send you home for palliative care. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. Indeed, there is eternal hope if we look at the right person. We can only find it if we wait upon the Lord. Thank our Lord Jesus Christ, who died to pay for our sin, who was raised to life so that He promised us new life in new, new Jerusalem when He comes. And His arms that have the scars of the nails will embrace us and sing, I was your shepherd, and I am your shepherd, and I will be your shepherd for eternity. May we put our hope in the Lord. As I close, I want to read to you a story. Actually not, it's an account by John White. He's the author of Dying Well. He recalled this time when he was meeting his very good friend, Alan Toogood, in the hospital when he was about to die. Let me read this to you. I had the privilege of spending another precious time with Alan Toogood just hours before he died in the hospital. Neither he nor I knew how close he was to the finishing line. His friend David and Jenny Gallagher had given him a little hand-carved wooden cross, a hand cross designed to be held in the arm, in the hand. This little cross came to hold great significance for Alan. He took hold of it with a resolute grasp and he remained with him throughout his time in the hospital. I, I don't normally go in for this kind of thing, he whispered to me with a smile. But I want to die with this cross in my hand. Mind you, John, it's an empty cross, but it's a reminder of the resurrection. Only a few hours later, he crossed the finishing line, holding on like a marathon runner he always was to meet his risen Lord. Isaiah forty thirty one: Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and will not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Brothers and sisters, may we wait and hope in the Lord confidently. 
Because our God, who is a mighty God, He will come. He will come back for us. We pray with me. Those who hope in you, Lord, will renew our strength. Those of us in our pain may lose heart. But help us remove our spiritual forgetfulness. Fill us with awe of you whenever we are tempted to admire something lesser or trust in something weaker. That wherever the eyes you have given us look upwards where we could no longer stand or walk, we will see that there is someone behind the great canopy of this universe and that we can remember the nail-scarred hands of Jesus and we know your comfort is not far from us. And may your kingdom come soon and us to you. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg